Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Glad to have those of you who are watching with us online. We're going to begin our service this morning with baptism, and we're excited about this. We had baptism last week and are having baptism today. So I want to share with you once again uh, the scripture that I share with, for, with you from Romans chapter 6 uh, about baptism. It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And what we believe about baptism comes from the scripture that Jesus has commanded us to do this. But we know that baptism is simply that outward picture of what has happened in our hearts when we've trusted by faith in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. That we are dead to sin, just like Jesus died and was buried. And we rise out of the water. When we come out of the water, it's to picture the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. And so that's what Nathan uh, comes to do this morning to follow in baptism. So Nathan, if you'll come. Nathan, what is your profession of faith? Jesus is Lord. Upon your profession of faith as Jesus is Lord, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, risen to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And Brother Matt is going to come and, and share our welcome with you and then later to share our missionary moment with you. So Brother Matt, if you'll come. If anybody can help them, it'd be great. So, hey, good morning, church. Glad to have you here this morning. It's, uh, it's a blessing to be with you all in the house of the Lord. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we start. God, we just come before you today. God, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our life. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we can be here together and open up your word and worship you freely. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are going through a time of war and, Father, something that we never hoped to ever expect it or see again. But, Lord, we just pray you would strengthen their faith. Help them during this time. God, give the leaders wisdom. And, Father, we just pray for those who don't know you, God, Lord, that you would soften their hearts. God, turn them to you. And, God, that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. God, we pray for peace. And, God, we pray for uh, your will to be done. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We pray for Pastor Jim as he has prepared this message. Lord, speak through him, and may we listen to your word as it's preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to draw this out a little bit because I need the preacher back down here. First hymn this morning, I want you to stand and join the choir as we sing 248 in your hymnals. The word should be on the screen for those at home and for those that don't want to look at the hymnal. But uh, join the choir as we sing, God our Father, we adore thee, 248.
you would open up with me to the missionary moment. Here we pray for Kate and Jenny Wheeler who are in Europe as they begin a retreat with more than 125 people who have put their trust in Christ during a three-day mountain retreat in the Caucasus region of Europe. National Church Partners organized the weekend with the help of some funding from Southern Baptists through Sin Relief. The region of Europe was severely affected by both the COVID-19 pandemic and regional war that left thousands in need. So the IMB missionaries Kate and Jenny have lived and worked in this region for years, helping to meet the physical and spiritual needs of the people. And so if you would, let's pray for Kate and Jenny as they continue to minister to those in Europe. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness of Jade and and sorry, and Cade and Jenny, as uh, they serve you in Europe, God, we pray for your peace. We, God, we pray that you would uh, just move in the hearts of the people there. God, draw them close to you, Father. Help them to see the truth of the gospel. God, we just pray for workers to help uh, Cade and Jenny. God, we pray for national believers there to rise up and to continue to share the gospel with those around them. God, we thank you for their faithfulness. And for the many years they have sacrificed to be there to help and to share your gospel to those people. Lord, we pray, uh, Father, for the churches there, God, that you would just continue to help the churches that have, who are established, help the churches to start new churches, Father. And Lord, that within uh, years from now, God, your, your name would be praised and many believers would gather together to worship you. God, we thank you for... Uh, the cooperative program and the faithfulness of other believers giving into it, Father, so that these things can be, can be made possible, Father, through, through giving, through prayer, and God, by your power. God, we thank you for your grace and for the opportunity we get to share and doing missions by giving and, and praying for those around the world. God, I do pray that if you are calling us to go on mission, whether that's here in the States or to go overseas, God, that we would hear that call, and Lord, we would answer the call. God, we would not allow fear to hold us back, but Father, we would allow the love that we have for you and the gospel to be spread, to be the fuel that sends us, Father. Thank you for uh, the faithfulness again of these believers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, two Sundays in a row having a baptism is wonderful, isn't it? It's, It's a great service. But, uh, Brother Matt, I appreciate you taking the part you have this morning and filling that little gap in there like that because he's got to come back down here and lead us here in a minute. (laughs) But when we choose songs for Sunday morning, there's always the pastor gives us the the theme of his sermon and and the scripture. So we try our best to put some songs that go along with it. This song right here is not even in our books, none of our books here. So it's stuff that we grew up on as kids in youth group. So uh, Reba pulled out some paperbacks, and, and that's what we're going to sing this morning. We have the words and the music. You guys will have the words, and you've probably heard it. Uh, uh, fill my cup, Lord. So join the choir, and, and please, you can stay seated here. But fill my cup, Lord. And we'll be singing all three verses.
amen. Our choir is going to sing a song. Uh, you've heard us sing it before. It's called Say Amen. And I just want to encourage you, if you want to raise your hand and praise and just saying amen, or you want to verbally say amen, please feel free to as we sing this song for you. and valleys in our way but right here in this moment may our strength be renewed as we recall what God has done and how we've seen him move if there's anybody here who's found him faithful anybody here who knows he's able say It gets hard to see But be bold and courageous And follow where he leads Greater is the one who's in us Than he who's in the world So child of God, remember The battle is the Lord's If there's anybody here who's found him faithful Anybody here who knows he's able, say amen. say amen. If there's anybody here who's seen his power, anybody here brought through the fire, say amen. Say amen. Anybody here found joy in the midst of sorrow, in the storm, hope for tomorrow, and you've seen it time and time again, just say amen, just stand and testify of the greatness of God in our lives, if there's anybody here who's found him faithful, Say amen. 
busy morning. Next hymn, I have to remind you about Children's Church during this song, be on, this, on the piano side. But uh, next hymn, stand with us as we sing, Heaven Came Down. And you may have heard it say, Heaven Came Down and Glory Filled My Soul. But Heaven Came Down, 438 in your hymnals. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of John once again as we continue this walk through the life of Jesus. I've entitled my message this morning a little bit different than what you may think. It's called The Well, the Woman, and the Water Pot. Uh, and you're going to see what happens uh, in this story and how this can apply 
to you this morning, especially if you don't know Jesus uh, as your Lord and your Savior. So we're going to begin with verses 3 down through verse 6 of John chapter 4. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. He, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well And it was about the sixth hour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you this morning for your word and for your truth. Father, we thank you for the songs that have been sung, Lord, for the prayers that have been prayed. And Father, we know that you have heard us this morning. And we just come before you once again, Lord, to ask you to hear our hearts and to hear our cry. Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. So speak into our hearts Lord, let the light of the truth of your word shine into our lives, that if there is any sin within our hearts and our lives, any speck of sin, Lord, may we come to the place of confession, to confess it before you, and not just to confess it, but to repent of it, to turn away from it, and then to turn to follow you. And if we already know Christ to be more faithful than we've ever been before by by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and if we don't know Christ as our Lord and Savior, then may today be that day of salvation for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. You know, as we look through the life of Jesus here, we find that nobody could really deal with people the way that Jesus did. In John chapter 2 and verse 24 and 25, the Bible says that nobody had to tell Jesus about people because he already knew what was in man's heart. Listen to what it says. It says he knew all the people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. He already knows what is in your heart. He wants to get you to the place to acknowledge what's in your heart. And of course, Jesus had the advantage over us because he was not only a man, he was also God. He was able to look into the hearts of people. I can't look into your heart this morning to know where you are spiritually. I can't point to you and say, I know you're not a Christian because I don't know your heart. But you know your heart. And God knows your heart. And you may have thought you've been hiding it from everybody else. You may have even hid it from me as your pastor, but you have not hid it from God. And so Jesus looked into the hearts of people and he encountered all kinds of individuals. There were uh, very different people in very different circumstances and in very different needs. Now, you can't help but make the contrast here in John chapter 4 back to John chapter 3 between the woman at the well in John 4 and Nicodemus in John 3. If you missed that message last Sunday night, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. What a difference these two people are. Because here in in this passage, here's a woman. In John chapter 3, here's a man. Here's a Samaritan. Here's a Jew. Here's a lady who we might call a party lady, if you will. And here's a religious leader. Here is one who is lost, who is down and out, And here's another who is still lost also and up and out. 
It, it doesn't really matter who you are uh, and who they were because Jesus not only talked to people to deal with their problems, but ultimately Jesus talked to people to deal with their greatest problem, to bring them to the place of salvation. And, and there's a lot that we can learn from Jesus in this passage. So I want you to look, first of all, at the well in verse 3 through verse 6. Notice it said there uh, that this was Jacob's well. Jacob's well was there. And we know this well uh, from the Old Testament. There, there's no question about its location uh, in the Bible land. Sometimes when you visit uh, places in the Bible, they'll say, well, this is the place we think this happened. We're not sure, uh, but we think this is the place uh, that it happened. And there's some debate and some question about some of the locations. But this place, all the archaeologists agree that, that this is where Jacob's well is even today. It's been discovered and been found there. It's in a valley between two mountains, between Mount Gerizim on the one side and Mount Ebal on the other. Uh, it's near where the bones of Joseph were buried. Today it's near a little village called Nablus. Uh, it's dangerous today to go that way now. I'm not sure what it's like now with all the, the COVID stuff that we've had to shut down for, but uh, when you could take tours there, they used to take tours there. Uh, but tours don't go there uh, anymore in more recent years uh, because that particular way is, is very dangerous to do so. So that's kind of the setting, and it's always kind of been uh, that way in that area. This well, I want you to see, was a well of necessity. It was a well of necessity. Look back again at verse 4. It says, and he had to pass through Samaria, or he must go to Samaria. Uh, you see that word there, must or, or had to. Jesus said back in chapter 3, if you'll go back and listen to that message last week or look at the passage there in chapter 3, he said, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Like Moses lifted the, the serpent on the pole in the wilderness uh, for the people to look at so they would be healed when they had been bitten uh, by the snakes. They had cried out to God and God said, okay, here's the remedy. Uh, Moses, you make a bronze serpent, you put it on a pole, lift it up. When the people look on it, when they obey and they look on it, then they will be healed and, and they won't die from uh, the, the serpent uh, that had bit them. Well, Jesus had said back in chapter 3, that's what needs to happen to the Son of Man. That's what needs to happen to him. It, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And, and so what we see about Jesus is Jesus didn't move haphazardly through life. He always had a purpose. He always had a plan. And he was obedient to the will of the Heavenly Father. Everywhere he went, everything he did, he always did it according to God's design. There was a divine necessity. He had to go there. He must go there uh, to Samaria. So here was this woman uh, that was going to be there in a little while who had a need. And that's why Jesus had to go there. He was coming to meet that need. And so we learned something about Jesus in this particular picture. We learned that our needs are important to Jesus. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now in this moment. It doesn't matter if it's a physical illness. It doesn't matter if it's a financial uh, situation that you're going through. It doesn't matter if it's a family problem. Jesus cares about all your needs. And he is there for you. He is making a plan and already has a plan uh, for your life. We find that our needs are important to Jesus. Now, I don't know what your need particularly might be. But Jesus is drawn to your need. Jesus is interested in your need. And the Bible says 
that Jesus, uh, on this particular day, he was tired from his journey. So think about that for just a moment. Here's Jesus, who's fully human and yet fully divine, and the Bible says he was tired. Uh, that's an interesting statement there because John, of all the Gospels, makes it clear that Jesus was more than a man. That he was God. John begins his gospel, if you remember back in John chapter 1, and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is emphasizing all throughout his gospel Jesus and, and his divinity. And yet in this picture, where Jesus is tired at the well, we also see his humanity. That he is the God-man. As a man, Jesus understands our needs. As a man, Jesus knows what you and I experience and what we go through. He knows your needs as a person, but as God, Jesus Christ is able to meet our needs. And so there's no need in your life that you are facing right now at this very moment that Jesus isn't able to meet. He cares about everything in your life, and he's able to meet the need of your life. He meets us in our needs. Here's Jesus. He's tired from the day. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus was willing to get tired seeking those who needed him? He didn't let the fact that he was tired, I just can't go over there today. I can't go over to Samaria. I'm just too tired. How often do we use that as an excuse for serving the Lord? I'm just too tired. I'm too tired to talk to my neighbor. I'm too tired to serve the Lord. I'm too tired to come to church. We use it so often as an excuse, but Jesus didn't let that keep him from seeking those who needed him. It's wonderful to know that Jesus was willing to inconvenience himself in order to reach out to others who had needs. It's a challenge for us to be willing to, to just be put out a little bit. Uh, we ought to be willing to, to inconvenience ourselves just a little bit. Uh, we live in so much of a uh, so much ease and comfort today. Uh, whenever you go to other countries, uh, you see what many people in the world have to go through, and it and it makes us sometimes ashamed uh, that our softness of our softness and ashamed that we are so unwilling to pay the price that many people in this world pay to serve the Lord Jesus and to bring others to Jesus. I mean, uh, we've already heard this morning in our prayer time. We think of the people there and our missionaries in the church, even in Ukraine, who are willing to pay the price. If that was to come to America, would we be willing to pay the price? So you understand this. We may not have those kind of troubles and tribulations right now for us, but if we're going to grow as a church, then we have to get our hands dirty uh, to win people to the Lord. If we're going to be in, in inviting and bringing others to Jesus, we're going to have to go out of our way to reach the people who are out there in the world. Uh, we're going to have to do some, some things we may not want to do uh, our, ourselves. And so notice it says there, he must needs go through Samaria. This well is a place of necessity. He needed to go there. He had to go there. It's also a place of opportunity. Because notice when this is. It's the sixth hour. If you know anything about uh, the, the Jewish time back in that day, it's 12 o'clock, middle of the day. 
The gospel makes it very clear here at the time of the day. At that particular time, Jesus is at that well because in just a little while, there's going to be a woman coming out of a village in Samaria who's going to have a need that Jesus is going to meet. And the fact that Jesus is there at this time gives this woman a tremendous opportunity. One preacher said this, what an opportunity it is when we with our water pots on our way to the wells of this world and we have a divine encounter with the Lord Jesus. So often we're just busy about our lives, going about doing our daily routines, and yet Jesus is wanting to create an opportunity to bless you in your life. So begin thinking, first of all, about this well. Jacob's well was there. Jesus is at the well. A woman is on her way to this well. And that leads us to our second point of this sermon, the woman. Look at verses 7 through verse 26. We'll begin with verse 7 and verse 8. A woman, so understand John is choosing his words extremely carefully here. He wants us to know some specific facts about this particular situation. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So get the picture. Jesus is all alone at this well at this time. And we know that because verse 8 tells us there that his disciples have gone to town to get something to eat for them. And so Jesus is sitting at that well alone. And in a moment, he hears something. And he turns and he sees this woman with a water pot. They would poise it on their head. She's coming down the hill. And this woman, get a good picture of her. She obviously is an attractive woman. There are traces of beauty, even though she's beginning to age just a little. And we'll explain that in a moment. There are traces of also disappointment, though, and disillusionment and shame. Because here's this woman who is coming when? At noontime, by herself, with a water pot. That's not when women usually came to the well. Women came to the well in the morning, in the cool of the day, before the heat got up. You think about this woman, she's coming at noontime by herself with her water pot. In some ways, she's kind of a, an outcast here. She probably had grown attached to that water pot, almost like it had become a companion to her. I mean, all the men, they liked her quite well, and she liked the men also. And evidently, this woman didn't care too much about herself. Some, here she is coming at a time, as we said, when women normally would come at another time. And, and when she was uh, around, uh, they were careful to hold on to their husbands in her presence. Because here's this woman coming to the swell, and Jesus is fixing to engage her in a conversation. I don't think she ever had any intention whatsoever of talking to anybody when she went to, to the well that day, much less Jesus. And she sees Jesus there, and she probably begins to tense up. We get that from the words that she speaks that we'll see in a moment. You, you can almost see her clutching her water pot, and as it becomes obvious, she, she has a quick mind. She has a sharp tongue. She's loaded down with a great bundle of prejudices and, and hostilities and sin and, and shame. And Jesus is going to talk with her, and layer by layer, he's going to lay out all of the different problems of her life. 
So Jesus initiates the conversation with this woman. And if you look carefully at this entire conversation between Jesus and this woman at the well, you'll find that he basically makes two requests of her. The first one is found there in verse 7 where Jesus says to her, give me to drink. This isn't a demand of her. This is a request of her. Could you please get me something to drink? This request has to do with thirst. Because think, remember, Jesus is sitting there. He's tired uh, from his journey that he's been on this day. And he doesn't have anything with him to to drop down into the well to get water out of with. And so he asks for a drink of water. And think about the irony here, though, of that statement. Jesus says, give me something to drink. I'm thirsty. Here's the one who created all the streams and the creeks and the ponds and and the lakes and the rivers and the oceans. And he's saying, I'm thirsty. Here's the one who one day later would be hanging on a cross and would say to those who were his followers, I thirst. I thirst. What a statement. Think about it. Here's the one who is the water of life. And he's thirsty. She wasn't expecting that at all. Because as a Jewish man, one of the things you wouldn't do is speak to a woman to start with in that culture in that day. But Jesus is going straight to her. He speaks directly to her. He elevates her status just by talking to her. She wasn't expecting that at all. But notice Jesus goes right to the very heart of her need. And she comes down to that well with that water pot, just like she's always been there before. She's been up and down that same path day after day after day. And she asked, he asked, Jesus asked her for a drink of water. Look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman... Of Samaria. Now, this is the second time we've been told she's a woman and that she's from Samaria. And then we see in uh, the parenthetical section there, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So she gives him kind of a snappy answer, if you will. Her words are filled with some prejudice and animosity, and she obviously is prejudiced in her heart. In fact, if you look at her reply, you'll discover she touches all the bases of prejudice. She's, she has a national prejudice. She says, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. This woman was a Samaritan here, and we know that Samaritans uh, were were Jews who had intermarried with the Assyrians in the Old Testament uh, who had conquered Israel hundreds of years before and occupied the land. And Samaritans were half Jews and half Gentiles, and Samaritans were despised by the Jews. As a matter of fact, the Jews called them the most despicable thing that you could call them back then in that day. Uh, Jews would call the Samaritans dogs. They would see a Jew, uh, see a Samaritan, and they'd say, you dog. So this problem had developed because the Samaritans wanted to worship just as the Jews did, but they weren't allowed to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. So they built their own temple in Mount Gerizim. And to this very day, there are still Samaritans left on Mount Gerizim uh, where they still worship there. She has this national prejudice. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. She has a gender prejudice. She says, I'm a woman. You're a man. Now, obviously, a lot of this is because of her culture and and the things that she's gone through and the things she's experienced. 
And that's caused her to be jaundiced, if you will, towards those who have hurt her and said those kinds of hurtful things to her. And she's gotten this callousness in her heart where she's very biting in her words that she says to Jesus here. She had some personal prejudices. She had just about every kind of prejudice you could imagine. You know, prejudice is an awful thing. It's terrible when people get prejudice in their hearts. And we're living in a society even today that is filled with prejudice and hatred. We have racial prejudice. We have economic prejudice. We have social prejudice. We have religious prejudice. Isn't it wonderful to know there's no prejudice in Jesus? And he must needs go through Samaria. Think about that. He could have gone the normal route like all the other Jews did. He could have taken that, that more uh, eastern route there and gone around Samaria and come up to the other side to Galilee there. He could have done that and, and avoided the whole area of Samaria. But he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus leaped over every prejudice barrier there was. To get to this woman who had a need. You know this, that the solution to the prejudices of our society aren't going to be found in passing laws and because laws can't take prejudice out of the heart. Uh, the solution of prejudice is to get Jesus in your heart. Get the love of Jesus in your heart. And when Jesus is in your heart, you will love people because he loved you. When Jesus is in your life, he'll help you to overcome all of those rotten, dirty prejudices that you may have in your heart. A lot of us will say, hey, I'm not prejudiced. But I'd encourage you to examine your heart. She responds with prejudice, but Jesus says this in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So notice what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is moving to a different plane, if you will, in the conversation. She's thinking in terms of physical water to satisfy physical thirst. Jesus is talking on a spiritual level. He's talking about spiritual water. He's talking about spiritual satisfaction. There are many beautiful pictures in the Bible of what salvation is. Last Sunday night when we went through John chapter 3 there, we saw four of those uh, that, that salvation is described as a new birth. It's described about uh, like the wind, how you see the wind blow, uh, but you, you can't, you can't put it in a jar, but it's there. You can see the effects of it. He gave the description of the serpent on the pole being lifted up and, and light and darkness. But this is one of the most beautiful pictures. Jesus pictures salvation as taking a drink of water. And you'll find that several times in the Bible. Isaiah says, everyone who thirsts comes to the water and drink. If you look on the last page of your Bible, the Bible says in Revelation, whoever will <clears throat> let him drink of the water of life freely. That's just how wonderful and how refreshing and how thrilling and, and how simple salvation is. Salvation is as simple as physically drinking water. Anybody can drink of water. If you want to know Christ as your Savior, 
It's as simple as drinking water, receiving him, inviting him into your heart and into your life. You know, if people just knew, people just don't know, and that's why people don't come to Christ. They, they just don't know how wonderful Jesus is. They don't understand how satisfying he is. And this woman, she doesn't know uh, what, what, what he's talking about. She asks him uh, about the depth of the well and, and those kind of things. Look at verse 11 and verse 12. The woman says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. But then notice in verse 13, Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, the spiritual water he had just been talking about, or the physical water, sorry, here in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this physical water will be thirsty again. And so what we see here is he's moving a little bit closer and he's saying to her, you've been coming to a physical well to satisfy your thirst and you filled that water pot many times with water, but you always have to keep coming back again and again and again. That's the sad thing about so many in this world. They're trying to satisfy a spiritual thirst in their heart in physical ways. People are trying to get more out of this world than there is in it. They're trying to get more out of the wells of pleasure than there is. They're trying to get more out of the wells of, of money and wealth. They're trying to get more out of the wells of religion than there is. Jesus says, if you keep coming to this well, you will thirst again. And what we see is so many are going from well to well to well to well in this world and never finding the water of life that can satisfy their soul. In Jeremiah 2, verse 13, it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We're going to things that will never satisfy us. Solomon had the same experience. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon tried everything there was to fill his spiritual thirst, but when he came to the end of it all, he said, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does vanity mean? Emptiness, meaninglessness. It's all empty. When you try this world's wells, they were never fully satisfied. And so notice what Jesus says in verse 13 and verse 14. He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the physical water, will be thirsty again. But verse 14 says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever had a drink of that water? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? Is there a river uh, of, of, of flowing in your heart and in your life right now? Jesus speaks to her concerning thirst. Notice his first question was, give me water. And she's interested. And she says this in verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come down here to draw water. If you could give me that kind of miracle water that I don't ever have to come back down to this well daily, she's still thinking about the physical. Look at that second request in this conversation with the woman. What does Jesus say to her? It's, it's wild. He, she's saying, give me this water, and notice the very next thing he says to her. 
go call your husband and come here. What? We were just talking about water. And now you're telling me to go find my husband and bring him here and come here? Notice, if we had read that, never read that before, you would have never expected that in the conversation. That's not at all what we would have thought would have taken place. She, she was unprepared for it. She had no idea that Jesus would say something like this. And she reacts uh, with, with a sudden pain, uh, like a sudden pain has stabbed her. And she stiffens up uh, with a sudden uh, sword that's pierced through her soul. And notice what she says in verse 17. The woman answered him, I have no husband. I have no husband. That's the shortest thing this woman has said in the whole conversation. What we see here is now she's trying to hide She's because Jesus is getting close to the problem. You know, so often when we're confronted with our sin, we want to hide. We never want to face up to the real situation. The first request had to do with thirst. Give me something to drink. Now Jesus says, go call your husband to come here. That has to do with theology. What? She doesn't know it's theology, but that's what they're going to talk about. You know, some may say, well, I'm not interested in theology. Yes, you are, because everybody sooner or later is interested in theology because theology is simply discussions about God, theos. God, discussions about God, talking about God. Everybody sooner or later becomes interested in God, and the Bible says everyone has to face God one day. So when you talk about theology, notice also you have to talk about sin. And the Bible says all of us have this problem that complicates our relationship with God, sin. Jesus, what we see here, is putting his finger, if you will, on the problem. Go call your husband. Evidently, most of her life had been centered around sex. She says, I don't have a husband. She's hiding it. People do that today. People want to hide behind the new morality. Well, that's just the way people are in our society. Everybody's doing it, preacher. Surely it's okay. I mean, I mean, get up to the, to the 2000s here. We're all in the 21st century. This is just the way people live. Notice again verse 17 and then into verse 18. So she said, I have no husband. And notice what Jesus says to her. You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Wow. You know, in our culture, in our world today, we'd make a celebrity of somebody like that. But Jesus here is putting his finger on the sore spot. You ever been to the doctor and you have a pain and you just can't remember exactly where it's at. And what's the doctor do? He starts poking around, poking on this muscle, poking on that bone. And, and he begins poking around trying to locate it. And, and in a minute, ow, that's it, that's it, that's it right there. They found it. Understand, that's what Jesus is doing here. Just like a doctor just poking around, go call your husband. He hit the sore spot. Think about this. What would Jesus say to you this morning? Go call your wife. Go call your children. 
Go call that business owner uh, or, or that friend or that family member that you cheated and you wronged. What would Jesus say to you? He puts his finger on your sin and he says, that's it. At that point, notice she gets theological too. Verse 19. So he just talked to her about her problem with her husband, her sin. The woman says to him in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now she's ready to talk about religion. Let's get the focus off of me. That's what she's wanting to do. And so notice here, the following here in the discussion is, you could kind of paraphrase it here. The discussion begins then to change to which is the right church? What? We were just talking about your husband. So she's changed the subject here. So she says, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place we ought to worship. Which is right. Ever had that experience? When you're talking to somebody about the Lord, and you show them the Bible says in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and come short the glory of God, people start getting all religious on you. Well, that may be true, but I have a question for you. Where did Cain get his wife? You know, and they go off on all these other kind of discussions to get the, get the focus off of their sin problem. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter a difference to us where Cain got his wife. If he's happy with her, we're happy with her. Which church is right? Is the Baptist church right? Is the Methodist church right? Is the Pentecostal church right? People get real theological when the sin problem comes up. And Jesus says to this woman, notice in verse 21 through verse 24. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. What's he saying there? It ain't going to matter if you're here on this mountain or you're over there in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if you're going to be over at the Baptist church or over at the Methodist church. He's saying here, he says, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship, he says, what you do not know. Verse 22, we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Basically what Jesus is saying to her is that salvation is not a place. Salvation is a person. Jesus Christ. Somebody says, preacher, do you believe you have to be a Baptist to go to heaven? No. Do you believe all Baptists are saved? Absolutely not. Preacher, do you believe that all those people at Highland Baptist are, are saved? No. Only the born again at our church or any church are saved. Only the born-again Baptists are saved. Only the born-again Methodists are saved. Only the born-again Pentecostals are saved. It's not a church. It's Jesus Christ. That's what save at salvation is all about. And so now this woman is interested in Christ, the Messiah. Because notice what she said, or what it says here in verse 25. The woman said to him, Well, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes... He will tell us all things. He'll fix the problem. 
Which brings us to the final point, the water pot. Notice verse 27. Then his disciples came back. And the woman marveled, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and then goes on to tell the people some things we'll look at in a moment. Notice there in verse 27. Isn't that the way it always works? We're here at the most crucial moment in the whole situation. And here come the disciples. Their arms full of, sack, full of sacks of food. That's the way it is. It seems to happen when you're sharing about the Lord Jesus Christ with others. You're sharing the gospel with somebody. And you're right to the point where you're ready to ask them about accepting Christ into their heart. And ring, 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 ring. The phone rings. Or the kids come in screaming. And there's an interruption. Here's what I want to say about those interruptions. Don't worry about it. Because Jesus is still at work. And when Jesus is at work, nothing can stop him. You just keep on, and you keep on sharing. The disciples come, but notice what happened in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar. That's interesting that John would tell us that. Why is that important to tell us she left her water jar? She left her water pot. Notice here, this woman leaves her water pot that had become a companion to her. She always held on to that water pot because she was using it to get water out of that well of Jacob. A lot of people have a water pot, but when you meet Jesus, you don't need it anymore. You ever wondered what ever happened to that water pot? You can almost see it as she leaves that water pot and as she's going back into town. Simon Peter says, hey ma'am, you left your water pot. You can almost see the smile on her face. I don't need that water pot anymore. I've already had a drink of the water of life. And my thirst has been satisfied like it's never been before. I'm not interested in that old water pot anymore. Because when you get a good drink of the salvation that Jesus offers to you, you don't need the water pots of this world. And you don't need this world's wells. Because they're dry wells. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you're born again, then you ought to have a river of life bubbling up in your heart. You can just hear her as she goes away singing, I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. And she goes on into town. And notice what happens. Verse 28. She went away into town. She said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. 
So the disciples said to one another, has anybody brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say "There, there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And then skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That was her testimony. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. I have a feeling when he saw those people coming out of that village there at Sychar, he says to his disciples, look. Look on the fields of those people who are coming, white, ready to harvest. It's a beautiful sight to see people who are coming to Jesus. It's wonderful to see people coming to Christ. But notice this. If you fast forward in the Bible and go to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 8, Philip the evangelist is there and he's preaching. And there's a revival right there in Samaria at the same place. And he has a great harvest of souls. You know who laid the foundation? This woman. This woman's the one who laid the foundation. Who had been such a sinful woman. Who came to Christ and started telling everybody else what Jesus had done for her. Come see a man. I want to use this word to you as we close today. Come. It's one of the greatest words in the Bible. You come to Jesus and your thirst will be satisfied you you come to Jesus and have your thirst satisfied you come to Jesus and you have your needs met for your life you come to Christ and and you have a longing of your soul filled here's what I want you to know if you're married or you're single if you are young or you are old if you are rich or you are poor come to Jesus And have the deepest needs of your life met. This invitation is simply this. Come. Come to the well of eternal life. Come to Jesus who is the water of life. And if you come to Jesus, he will forgive you of your sins. And he will come into your life. And he will meet the needs of your life. And you will never again be the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a powerful story from this woman who by many around her was considered an outcast. She had experienced so much pain, Lord, so much heartache from people who pushed her away, who didn't want anything to do with her, who looked at her because she was a woman and had prejudice who looked at her because she was a Samaritan and had prejudice. Lord, I suspect she hadn't hidden her sin from the people of that community. That's why she was coming by herself. She felt that shame. She felt the disgrace. Father, there are people who are here this morning. There are people who may be watching online. And that's exactly the way they feel this morning. Like they're an outcast. Nobody cares for them. Nobody wants anything to do with them. 
praise God for this story that tells us and shows us that if we are truly followers of Christ, then we ought to do just like Jesus did. We ought to go sit down at the well. We ought to talk to the woman, to the Samaritan, to the one who is drowning in her sin. Show the love of Christ to them. Share the good news of the gospel message. And Lord, we know that has to happen at the well. That has to happen in the marketplace. That has to happen outside the walls of this church. Yet, Father, you are saying to those who are here this morning, to those who are watching online, who, who find themselves in the same place that this woman was, or maybe find themselves in the same place as Nicodemus was, who was a religious man who did all the, the right things, came to church, did all those things, but yet he wasn't saved either. Father, I pray this morning we will hear this message from this woman. What a powerful message. Come. Come and see a man who I found who is the Christ. Come and see Jesus. Lord, I pray there'll be those who'll come this morning to surrender their heart to you. That there'll be those, Lord, who'll come to experience that healing of the life-giving water of the good news of the gospel message and experience that relationship with Jesus Christ who is the living water. Lord, may we call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on that cross, was buried in the tomb. Lord, I believe he arose on the third day. But Lord, I'm hurting and I know I have a need this morning and I've heard from your word that you care about my needs. So I come and I bring it to you. I confess my sin before you, Lord. You already know it anyway. I repent of it, Lord, and I ask you to come into my heart and to come into my life and to save me and to help me live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray that you'll help those people to come. Lord, there are a lot of us who are here who are already believers. But we don't always act like Jesus did. We push those people away. We don't talk to them. We don't show them the love of Christ. Father, I pray we'll start doing that. And the only way for us to start doing that is for us to come to the place of repentance, to say, God, I've been living wrong in my life. I've been treating others the way I should. Maybe a coworker, maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, maybe a relative. Father, I pray that you'll help us to show that person the love of Jesus Christ who loves them and came and died on a cross for their sin. He doesn't whitewash over their sin. He paid for their sin. So, Father, I pray this morning that as we lift the name of Jesus, may all men be drawn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. As you stand, as you sing.
a lot of the announcements are in the bulletin, so if you take a look at that, uh, a few I want to point out. Uh, we'd like to offer our deepest sympathies to the family of Opal Brooks, who passed away on Sunday, February 20th. There's no arrangements made at this time. And then uh, Brother Ken Tatum will be sharing about the Ukraine tonight and tonight's service. So if you want to come back and hear that, um, I think that's all the announcements. Anything? Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day. We just thank you for Brother Jim and his message, just uh, leading us to the, the well that never runs dry. Just be with those uh, missionaries and every, everybody over in Ukraine. Just soften their hearts and just protect them. Go with us as we go out through this week. In your name we pray. Amen.